Hey friends, I'm Brad Livingston, lead pastor here at Transformation Church. I want to personally welcome you to our podcast. At TC, we exist to see people transformed from who they are to who God wants them to be. So no matter where you are on your faith journey, I hope today's message inspires you to take one step closer to Christ. Good morning, TC. Let's give it up for Jesus all across this place. Come on. I don't know if I can preach from this stool, but we're going to try. Um... I've not been feeling the best. I'm going to shoot straight with you guys. I've been sick for about six days, and um, this is not. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Um, But we're going to do our best. All right? And so can you all amen with me a little bit this morning? I think that'll be, okay, good. I think I can do that. All right. Um, Man, I remember growing up. First of all, we're kicking off a new series today called Nothing But a G Thing. Uh, I know some of you are like, that's peculiar. Uh, And so... uh, because we're, we're going into our Easter series, um, which is all about the gospel. And it's all about, thank you, sir. It's all about what Jesus has done for us. And so um, look at your neighbor and say, don't be offended. Come on, look at him. Say, it's nothing but a G thing. All right. And today I want to you, I talk to you about the gospel. About the gospel. And uh, I remember growing up. How many guys remember growing up, coming home from school? And uh, so you would come home, you put on your, your favorite TV show, right? For me, it was like, man, I, I couldn't wait to get home from school, throw a hot pocket in the, in the microwave or some pizza rolls, right, in the oven. Because if you microwave pizza rolls, I feel like, you know, anyways, um, I couldn't wait to throw or, or like a, a pizza in the oven, throw on some Rugrats, come on, some, some Doug, you know what I mean? Angry beavers, rocket power. And maybe all of you, maybe some of you are like, man, that, okay, maybe you're, that's not your realm. Um, maybe you couldn't wait to eat some boiled peanuts and watch some Knight Rider <laughs> or the Andy Griffith show. I don't know. Right. But <laughs> right. At the end of the day, though, I remember, I remember coming home and, and, and I would, you know, throw something to eat in, in whatever, the microwave or the toaster oven, whatever, and I would sit down and watch my favorite show. And here's one thing I realized as I got older, right, is I really took for granted a lot of things my parents paid for, right? Like, come on, rent, utilities, food. I remember when, uh, when Tommy and Cindy, we kind of, when we like adopted Tommy and Cindy and, and we went from, uh, y'all remember Tony's pizzas, the yellow box frozen pizza and like Red Baron. We went from those to like the Totino's pizzas. <laughs> Listen, don't throw shade in my Totino's though, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And, uh, cause we had to make the switch from the $4 pizzas to the $1 pizzas. We had to eat more of those. And so I remember I remember doing that, and, and uh, one thing I, that kind of became clear as I became an adult is uh, how many things I got to partake in because my parents were so good to me that I didn't have to pay for. And one thing that the gospel should in each one of us do is create this genuine understanding that we all get to partake in something we did not have to pay for. 
And the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of what he does, the beauty of his message that he brings to each one of us isn't change or be this or don't do these things and start doing these things. Listen, I I believe character development is part of Christianity, but I believe where we've gotten it wrong, and especially in the Bible Belt down here in the South, where we've gotten it wrong is we try to clean fish before we catch them. So get your things together and then you can meet Jesus. And I I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it tells you to get some stuff together so that you can come to Jesus. If anything, I see, follow me and then I'll make you something else. And so my goal today is is that we would unpack the gospel in a a very beautiful way to understand five things that it does. And and I believe that if we could all grab a hold of all five things that it does, it'll give us a much clearer picture of who Jesus is and what he wants to be for us. But also more than that, it'll help us understand um, what it's not. And as we are going into Easter, that is one of my goals. And so I want to do that for us today. And so let's just move through. We're going to move through all five of them relatively quickly. If you see me stop and drink some water, it's because I'm just trying to keep it all together up here. All right, so in Jesus' name. Okay. What does the gospel do for us? Because here's the reality. I believe for many of us, the gospel is something that we talk about. It's maybe something that we reference. It's something that we've heard in church circles, but I believe we don't have a clear picture of all that it does the first thing that it does, and if there's anything that maybe we do have a clear picture of, it's the first one. It is, it's that it saves us from the penalty of our past. It saves us from the penalty of our past. How many people in here have messed up before? Perfect. Now, if you're new and you walked in with a little bit of reservation because, oh, man, all these people are going to have it together and my life is all jacked up. Can we raise our hands one more time and anyone that's got? Okay, perfect. Look around. You're in good company. All right. It saves us from the penalty of our past. You see, the reality is because of sin in our life, say our life, not your life or just my life, our life, because we've all sinned and fallen short, the Bible says, because we've all jacked up, because some of us, we've got a few things in our closet, and for some of us, our sin list looks like a Rolodex. But for all of us, we've blown it and we've messed it up. And listen to me, the fact that you've blown it, look at your neighbor and say, you've blown it. Now look at him and say, I've blown it, so everyone feels better. Because we've blown it, listen to me, you have no access to God. None. You, in your sinfulness, can't sit next to a righteous and holy God. You can't. Because God's righteousness, his holiness, will not allow the proximity of your sin to be close to him. So he needed a solution for that. And what does he do Jesus, when he went to the cross, paid to remove your sinfulness so that you could have a proximity back to God. So for some of us, we think, like, oh, Jesus paid for my sins, so I get like that get-out-of-jail-free card for Monopoly. Not quite. All right? It's not just that you wouldn't go to hell. There's actually a destination for you and somewhere you should be looking forward to. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says... You see, at just the right time, say just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for those who had it all together. Is that what it says? He died for the ungodly. I mean, that's encouraging to me because I don't know about you, I wasn't looking for God when God found me. I wasn't on a search like, man, I really got to figure God out. 
don't know about you, but I woke up after getting highs all, like, I was messed up. Maybe this is the medicine talking right now, in all fairness. <laughs> I'm giving you clarity on my testimony. I remember I woke up in the middle of the night, and God, God gave me a dream, and he let me see my future if I stayed where I was. And it shook me so bad, I woke up the next morning, and I went back to my parents' house, and I said, I am done with that, and I, I got to get my stuff right with God. He came after me. I wasn't looking for him. Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in 1 Corinthians 1.30, it says this, And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now, I want to create clarity around what this means because because of him, Christ Jesus became to us. How many guys heard the gospel before you got saved or you heard the Bible before you got saved and it sounded like ridiculousness? Right? What happened when you got saved, what happens in the moment that Jesus came to you is he became for you wisdom from God. In other words, he became an enlightenment that you couldn't obtain on your own. It, how, how did it go from foolishness to wisdom? Jesus. But then he takes a step further because he didn't just make it to where we could hear and understand the word of God. He also became what is it? righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And this is what I want you to grab a hold of today. Jesus gave to us a righteousness we could not obtain on our own. So think about it this way. You get to stand before God wearing clean clothes that you never had to buy because Jesus replaced your dirty ones with his clean ones. He, what we call imputed righteousness. He, gave, he, he looked at me and he looked at you and he said, ooh, that one's really dirty. Like that one's kind of jacked up. Anybody relate? But he looked at you and was like, that one's going to need some help. And he said, you know what? They'll never clean themselves up because they don't have it in them. So let me give them what they could never obtain. Listen to me at a price they could never pay, so I'll do it for free. And that is the gospel. That is the truth that when Jesus went to the cross, he gave you what you could never obtain on your own to give you access to God you could never have on your own so that you could experience the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ that you could not pay for on your own. And that is the beauty behind the gospel. It saves us from the past the penalty of our past, but then it sanctifies us from who we were to who God wants us to be. Then it sanctifies us from who we were to who God wants us to be. How many guys can recognize right now that there is a giant chasm between the person that you used to be, the person that you are, and who you actually believe God wants you to be? Like anybody notice like me, like me, the pastor of this church, like me, anybody notice that there's still a difference between who you are and what you know God wants you to be? Yeah. Like is God still working a few things out, any of you? Yeah. Like any of y'all still cuss a little bit? 
Don't raise your hands. I'm just kidding. Listen, I get it. That McFlurry machine got one more time to be broken when I roll through. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody still got some issues they deal with? Anybody still got some unforgiveness in their heart? Anybody got somebody that hurts you you ain't ready to forgive just yet? Okay, that, the yeahs are getting... <laughs> right? Why? There is, a, there is a gap between who you currently are and who God actually wants you to be. I would even say this, who Jesus died for you to be. And hear me, we have the obligation to follow Jesus in such a way that we actually commit to that person rather than settling in on this person. Like we actually have an obligation to the gospel that when Jesus laid his life down, he didn't just lay his life down to save us from one thing, but to make us a new thing. We have an obligation to the gospel that says, all right, Jesus, you've done all of this for me. Jesus looks at it and says, all right, so I want to move you into a new place. I want to change you. Look at your neighbor and say, change you. I want to change you. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Turn to your neighbor and say, reflect. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. What does that sound like? How many of you were convinced of this, that the day you got saved, you should, be, you should have it all together now? Anybody? Anybody grew up in Christian circles? All right? We don't smoke, we don't drink, we don't chew, we don't hang with those that do. Like anybody, like anybody relate? Like, okay, like, okay. I know that's an older saying. That was for the Andy Griffith crowd. Okay, but like, (laughs) but in all honesty, man, I I remember coming up in circles where it was like that we were bombarded with A, a list of things you don't do, and B, an expectation that the second you say yes to Jesus, everything is solved. And if you're still messing up, then obviously Jesus didn't do what he said he did. Where is the space where I get to be like Peter in the Bible, where I'm like, hey, listen, I'm still chopping dude's ears off, but I love Jesus. Anybody relate? I'm not hanging out with y'all then. Y'all are crazy. No, like, can anybody relate to, like, the fact that Peter still dealt with some denial issues? Anybody relate to the fact that he watched, he hung with Jesus, walked with Jesus, followed Jesus, and at the end of the day, he still had some issues being like Jesus? But you don't get the excuse to say, this is who I am, and Jesus loves me like this. The answer is yes, that's absolutely true. Jesus loves you right where you are. But he didn't save you to leave you right where you are. He saved you to bring you to where he is so that you could become like him. What does it say? Again, we are changed into his glorious image. Where over time we are progressing to become more like Christ. So here's my invitation to you. What is it in you you still need to let God change to help make you more like him? Here's my second question. What are you doing about it? See, many of us know our shortcomings. We just haven't given anybody permission to speak into them. Anybody know your issues already? 
Anybody rather pretend they don't exist than let somebody else call them out? Right? Why? How many of you would love to come up here and just like share your business to the whole church? Right? You're like, ah, no. Why? One, it ain't none of y'all's business, right? And two, you don't trust us. Can we be real? You don't trust us. Hey, that's all right. But here's the reality. You got to trust somebody and you got to let somebody speak into your life enough that can start holding you accountable to becoming the person that Jesus died for you to become. Jesus died to sanctify us. In other words, to transform us. And we have the responsibility to say yes to that. That's why groups and teams are so important for us at Transformation Church. You get into a group, you get on a team. Now you're surrounded by some people that are going to say, hey, listen, you've come three weeks in a row to group and you've talked about how you talk to your wife this way. I don't want you to know, fellow, that's not how we talk to our wives as Christ followers. Hey, you said you're dealing with this issue and I want you to know you're not dealing with that alone. Let me walk with you and hold your hand through that or come beside you. And in, in, in the moments where you're feeling weak and you feel like you can't say no to this, you got somebody to call so that now you're not doing this alone. You're not fighting this fight alone. You've got somebody that's willing to fight with you. Those things are important because God didn't call any of us to do it alone, but he did call us to do it. And so we have to partner with people and that Brings me to the next thing that the gospel does. So it saves us, it sanctifies us. This is one of my favorite ones. Then it satisfies. It satisfies us more than anything the world can offer. More than anything the world can offer, it satisfies, satisfies us. I want you to understand something, and I think we get this wrong. I believe Many Christians in church circles have made an idol out of heaven. Let me elaborate. I believe what many of us want is to not go to hell. Anybody want to avoid that? We can, okay, perfect. If you, all right, that's cool. I believe we want to avoid hell and we want to get to heaven because we don't want to go to hell. Like there's only two options. Anybody ever had to take one disgusting medicine or a more disgusting medicine? And you're like, I'll take the least disgusting one. Like, I believe that's how many of us are approaching heaven. Like, I really don't want hell, so there's only two options. Give me heaven. And the streets of gold thing would be cool too. Like, I believe that's how many of us are approaching our eternity. But I want to help you out for a second. I don't believe God's intention was ever for us to idolize the location of heaven. I believe God's intention was for, idolize, for us to idolize, for us to worship, for us to put as a goal who we would spend our eternity with in heaven, which is God. See, many of us don't love God. We just hate hell. And so we don't want hell. And so we want to go to the place that's not hell. But hear me. And this is like, I mean this with all the encouragement at heart, and maybe I'm just sick and kind of like grumpy. I don't know. But like, I want you to grab a hold of this. Many of us are like, why do we sing so much? What do you think we're going to do in eternity? Like, mm, we will worship him as the angels gather around singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Like, like so if you're not in love with him, if you're not just pressed on every side to look at him with such 
affection and, and pour out to him and say, oh my God, you're so good. Like I walked in here, like I literally thought they were going to have to put me on the stage in a wheelchair. And I was sitting back there in my office and they were singing a thousand names. And then when they went into God, you're so good. And I, and I looked at uh, Kyle, my buddy, I was like, dude, I just got to go out there. Like I got, I have to be in that environment because I got to worship him a few minutes before I get up here. Why? Because my affections are stirred for him. Why? Because he gave so much for me. And heaven isn't the place where you avoid a bad thing. Heaven is the place where you get the greatest thing. You will stand face to face with the one who hung on the cross for you. You will stand face to face with the one who gave his son for you. You will stand face to face with the creator of all things, all galaxies, all worlds, everything that's ever existed. We will stand with him and we will worship him. Heaven is not the place where you avoid something. Heaven is the place where you get the greatest thing. And his name is Jesus. And so I, I encourage you today to think about the fact that the gospel satisfies you better than anything the world could have to offer. And so we should approach him with that. John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Where is your satisfaction? Is it in your job? Because it'll fail you. Is it in your marriage? Because they will fail you. Is it in your kids? Because they will fail you. If it's in your promotion, it'll fail you. If it's in your houses, in your cars, and I'm not opposed to any of those things. Have them if God gives you peace about it. What I'm trying to tell you is everything this world has to offer will let you down. Make a God out of something and it will destroy you. But go to God with everything and it'll hold you. It'll satisfy you. It'll surround you. And so... The gospel satisfies us more than anything. First Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Listen to those last words. Why? For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that you could experience heaven? No. So that you could see the pearly gates? No. So that you could hang out with biblical characters and ask Adam and Eve why they were such knuckleheads? No. <laughs> why did he do it? bring you to God. Jesus' goal in your saving you was to bring you to the presence of God where all things are made right. He saved you for one reason and one reason alone. And listen to me, I'll even go as far as to say this. Despite what many pastors out there would say, Jesus didn't save you for you. Jesus saved you for God. Jesus saved you because God wanted you, not because you wanted God so badly. When God looked down from heaven, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, I'm coming after my own. And he came after you in a pursuit that was so intentional, so specific. And with that precision, he paid for you so that you could be close to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And it satisfies our longing for something more. How many guys know that in you right now, in you right now, is this thing you can't describe, but it's this reality that this world doesn't quite solve the longing you have inside. 
Like many of you have made the money. You got the promotion. You went after the job, and then you got it. You went after the paycheck, and then you got it. You went after the hottie with the body, and then you got her. Right? You went out, like, you did it all, and at the end of that, you looked in the mirror, and something was still missing. Because nothing in this world is shaped like the cross size hole that's in your heart. It was carved in such a way that there's only one thing that fills it. And his name is Jesus. And that's why you can look for satisfaction in every other place and yet be let down. But go to the one person who has asked so much of you, but also at the same time given so much to you. And he is your satisfaction. And so the gospel satisfies us. Listen to me. And I want you to grab a hold of this. Before you even knew what you needed, it was provided. Like before you even knew what you needed. Like how many guys know that there was a time frame between when you needed grace and then when you knew you needed it? Like how many guys know when you were in, in the world and in your sinful place, you weren't quite aware of what you needed, but then all of a sudden you realized what you needed and then boom, there it was. Here's the beauty behind it. God provided it 2,000 years before you needed it. If that's not any indication of the pursuit God has after you, then I don't know what is. So he satisfies us and then he sustains, sustains us through all of what life throws at us. He sustains us. The gospel sustains us through all of what life throws at us. How many of you guys have had life throw some things your way that you weren't ready for? In Mark chapter 9, there's a story of a man, and he is, he's got his son, and his son is sick. And so he is out of options. The man comes to Jesus. As he's coming to Jesus, he, he comes to him and he says, listen, I need you to heal my son. And, and he's sick, and this is happening, and these things are happening. And, and so he's, he's talking through it. And as he's talking through it, he, he, he comes to him, and, and uh, he goes, Jesus, I need you, if, if you can, I need you to, I'm asking you to heal my son. And Jesus responds, and we'll go there, uh, verses 22. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Say help us. Have you ever been there in that place where you were looking at God and you were like, I don't even know anymore. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm so outside, like, I don't even know anymore. Where you weren't even asking God specifically for something. You were just asking God in general for something. You know how sometimes in your life you're like, God, I really need this job with this car and this paycheck to take care of these things. It'll be good. And then sometimes you're so desperate, you're just like, I just need you to show up. And that's kind of where the boy's father is in Mark chapter 9. He's like, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus' response was, if you can. The boy's father says, if you can do anything, will you help us? And Jesus' response is, if you can. Everything is possible for one who believes. And in verse 24, I love what the, what the boy's father says 
Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Have you ever been in that place where you were believing for God to do something, but at the same time you were believing, you were recognizing you didn't have enough in you to believe as much as you wanted to? Have you ever been in that place where you were so desperate for God to do something that you even acknowledged you didn't really have enough faith to to muster up the courage to ask God to do it your way? I believe, help my unbelief. And I can hear the boy's father right now like, listen, I'm trying really hard to believe here. But I just don't have it in me. I got, I'm giving it all I've got. But I'm having a hard time seeing the light because of the shadow of what's in front of me. This passage hits home for us. Maybe you're new and you don't know our story. My son was sick for three years and then he passed away in 2018. I have this passage tattooed on my arm. I believe. Help my unbelief. And maybe when you read Psalm 23, it hits you the way it hits me. Maybe you've never read it this way and maybe I'm gonna destroy your upbringing on how you read this passage. You're welcome. Psalms 23, most of you know this passage. It's probably hung above your grandma's toilet or something. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Anybody? Yeah, we can, okay. Maybe you're new to church and that's not for you. You're like, I don't know, I got nothing. All right, cool, I'll help you. He gets to verse four and he says it like this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And the valley is the place, is the low place between two mountaintops. And maybe you've been in that place where you were in the low place between two mountaintops, the low point of your life where things weren't going your way. You felt dry, you felt hurt, you felt abandoned, you felt lonely, you felt isolated, and you just felt like God wasn't even hearing your prayers. The shadow makes it, it means you're unable to see the light because when you're looking for the light and and you're, you're trying to find the light You're standing in the shadow, so you can't see the light because of the shadow, but because of the shadow, you're recognizing that there's this giant thing standing right in front of you, and it's blocking out all hope that you could ever have in your life. And so you're looking, and you're going, I don't know, I just can't see past this giant thing that's standing in front of me. And maybe it was a sickness, maybe it was a disease, maybe it was a doctor's report, maybe it was a pink slip, maybe it was you lost your job, maybe your degree went down the toilet, maybe COVID wrecked your business, maybe whatever it is, you're standing and you're trying to find the light, but you can't see the light around your obstacle. And I believe that is where the father is. And he's going, I know there's a light. 
I'm just having a hard time seeing it because I've been living in the shadow. And can you relate to living in the shadow? Can you relate to knowing there's a light, but you got so used to the valley, you forgot what the mountaintop feels like? I remember we were, uh, we were moving into the DeSoto building as a church. If you were with us then, you just got PTSD. Okay. <laughs> that triggered something in you right then. Uh, we were getting ready to move into the DeSoto building, which was not a, it was good for us, but it was a bad situation. Anybody relate? Like, oh, God really did some things. I never want to go back there again. And so we were getting ready to move in. And I told the story recently to some, some of my students. So we we're getting ready to move in. And, and so uh, it's almost launch Sunday. It's, it's uh, the week before launch Sunday. And so it's a big day for us. Except there was one problem. Our bathrooms didn't have stalls in them yet. So it was literally just toilets on the ground. And we're pretty close in this church, but we ain't that close. And I remember I was leading the whole project and Pastor Dan was getting ready for that first Sunday. So he's, he's getting his message ready. And if you know Pastor Dan, he can tend to be someone that once he gets honed in on something, that thing's got to get done. And everything else in the building was done except for these bathrooms, which meant all of his attention was where? Those bathrooms. Problem was, there was nothing he could do about it. I was responsible for making sure it got done. And I'll never forget, it was Thursday before Sunday. And the bathrooms aren't done yet. And he walks into the auditorium. We were putting the chairs out. And, and the contractor was like, yeah, no, we're, gonna, we're definitely going to be able to get them done in time. And I'm like, And I, I, maybe he remembers it this way. I don't know. He probably blacked out. But he was having a genuine freak out moment in the auditorium. Not a lack of faith, but definitely a moment of frustration. And so he's kind of freaking out. And he's like, I don't know. We got to figure this out. We got to do this. And if you know me, I'm a plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, E, F, whatever. Like... I always have a backup plan. I'm just that kind of guy. And so he was kind of freaking out in that moment. And he's, he's looking at me and he's like, we got to figure this out. We can't have no, like he's just kind of going wild. And I was, I was trying to tell him I've got it taken care of. But how many guys know when it's your baby, you don't care when someone else says I got it taken care of. You're like, no, 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 no. Like we like, you're going to keep trying to take care of it. Right. And so he was like, he's kind of freaking out and I'm freaking out at him for freaking out. And we're doing this whole dance and, and he's, he's kind of, uh, you know, kind of going crazy. And he's like, we got to figure it out. We can't, this, and this can't be this way. And it's got, we got to make sure we get it done. And, and this is not going to be good. And Sunday's just around the corner. And, blah, blah, blah. and I finally, I, I took both hands and I put them on each side of his face. I was like, look at me. But I wasn't laughing and I wasn't smiling. Either. I was like, look at me. And like, he looked at me and, you know, like, I'm his son, but I'm, you know, 6'2", 300. So, like, if I do that to anybody, it's like, oh, God, right? So, look at me. And he looked at me. And I said, when have I ever let you down? And I don't mean, like, before Jesus, right? Like, so, 
thinking back on this story, there was probably a lack of clarity in my question to him, right? So like, he was like, oh man, there was that time and that time and that time and that time. But through the intervention of the Holy Spirit, he got the point, okay? So, but I want, I want some of you to lean in on this and we're almost done. So when have I ever let you down? He shook his head. I said, you haven't. I said, I know we've been down some roads before. We didn't know how we were going to get there. But I've never let you down. I said, look at me. I don't intend on starting now. And I believe for many of you, as you've walked through dark places, hard situations, Jesus is looking at you with hands on both sides of your face saying, when have I ever let you down? I know you don't know how this is gonna go with your house or with your kids or with your health or with your marriage or with this work situation. But when have I ever let you down? I know we've gone down some difficult roads and I know there are moments where you're going, I don't know about this, but I've always carried you through it. I've always got you through it. When have I ever let you down? And what do we do? We gotta look back at Jesus and go, you haven't. There were definitely some, some things you brought me through back there that I would have chosen to avoid. But when I, when I look back, you never let me down. And that is why the gospel sustains us through all of what life throws at us because Jesus never lets us down. He holds us. Listen to me. In the valleys, it's when he's holding you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't left you. I know you've looked into heaven and said, I don't know what you're doing. He hasn't forgotten about you because the gospel sustains us through it all. Which brings me to my last thing is that the gospel sends us out with a message. The gospel sends us out with a message. And as I was putting the words together for this, this is one of the best ones that I could find and come up with. And this is the reality for you because many of us think that the gospel saved us so that we can wait till heaven gets here, but it did not do that. It did not do just that. It's in your notes like this. Christ did not die just to save us from something. He died to save us to something. There is a life. There is a purpose. There is a hope. There is a fulfillment. There is a plan that Jesus intends for you to execute. A life given to the gospel, a life of serving, saying yes to making a difference in people's lives. To think that many of us might accept the free gift of grace 
and never allow it to send us onto a team to serve or into a group to lead or into our neighborhood to make an impact or on our job to declare the truth of Jesus. The fact that we would receive so freely this beautiful gift of grace and then harbor it up inside of ourselves and never let the world see it is a tragedy because out there our friends are dying, folks, and they're going to hell if we don't get a message into their hearts to let them know that Jesus died for sinners. And I might even be the worst, Paul says. But I'm here to tell you that there is a message that your family, that your friends, that your coworkers need, and that's Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. He's more than anything we can have. And that's why it's so important that we realize, listen to me, for some of us, we've settled into how hard or how busy life is. We've neglected the gospel, which is permanent on behalf of temporary things. So we're really busy pursuing all the things that will die with us. But many of us aren't active in pursuing the eternal things that will go after us. My encouragement to you is take the gospel. Listen, on the way out the door today, there are invites by the exit door for Easter. Grab some. Let what Jesus did in you not end with you. Let it be the start of what he's going to do in somebody else. In Jesus' name, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And lastly, Romans 10, won't read the whole thing, but it says, how beautiful are the feet of those that carry the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those that bring the gospel. So what do we do? Let's take the gospel that saves us. Let's take the gospel that sanctifies us, that satisfies us, that sustains us. And hear me, here's my invitation. Let's let it send us so that it's not just for us anymore. It's now for somebody else. Can we do that in Jesus' name? Let's pray today. Father, we thank you. We thank you. First, we thank you that you've never let us down. There have been moments where we thought we didn't know, we were confused. We, we may even feel like you came close, but you are good to us. So it's nothing but a gospel thing. You're so good. For those that have needed a reconnection with you today, I pray that you give it in Jesus' name and speak life to those who may be without you. In Jesus' name. I want to invite you to stand to your feet all across this place. We're going to wrap up. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed today, if you're here and what we talked about with the gospel is something that is new to you. Maybe you grew up in church or you heard about the gospel, but you didn't hear about it in a way that made you say, oh my gosh, I'm ready to lay my life down for that. And today you're ready to say yes. If that's you, you're ready to say yes to Jesus. If that's you, you're ready to turn away and repent of the sin that, like we've all had before and say yes to Jesus. And I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. And this prayer doesn't make you saved. It just puts words to the actions of your heart. 
as Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me my sins. Forgive me my wrongs. I believe in you. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again from the dead. So now I can have life. So I give you my life. I'll follow you forever. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. TC, let's give it up for all those that prayed that perhaps for the first time. We celebrate with you.